Today we're in week two of Not a Fan. I hope you've picked up a copy of the book. We've got another case of the books out there in case you haven't, so you can pick, pick another one up. Uh, small groups have gotten started into that. Uh, we have the good problem right now of more people wanting certain groups than we have people in, so we're going to figure out some way to make this work, that everybody can be in a small group. There should be no one left out of a small group if you want to get in. If we need to form new small groups, we'll figure out some way to do that as well. So that's great. But uh, we're in week two, and if you're reading the book, you're probably... I just want to let you know, the, the messages kind of go along with the flow, but it's not like these two chapters in this or even small groups. It's kind of like the book is kind of the overview. Uh, the message focuses on a part of it. The small groups focus on another part of it. So all together, it gives you a package to understand some of the things we'll be talking about. And so today, uh, last week we talked about this whole thing of about uh, denying ourselves. Uh, what Jesus says to us, if we're going to follow him, be a follower, not a fan. And uh, it kind of reminded me that years ago, uh, many years ago, and this will kind of show you my age, uh, I've always been an NBA basketball fan, but not, not so much a fan of a team as I've been a fan of individuals. The, my, the first person I remember really being a rooting for and really following was years and years and years and years ago, there was a, a Boston Celtics, and there was a guy named Bob Russell, uh, Bill Russell, excuse me, not Bob Russell, Bill Russell, I was thinking of somebody else, uh, Bill Russell. And uh, that team years ago, and they won like seven out of eight years they won the NBA championship. I think he was the greatest defensive center in all, the, in all of NBA. I love guys. I'd rather watch a guy block a shot than, than dunk a ball or shoot a three-pointer any day of the week. And uh, he and, and Walt Frazier, who was uh, with the uh, New York Knicks, was my two favorite players. Matter of fact, when I played basketball, I loved to block people. And I, back when I was thinner and quicker and younger and could jump, uh, that was my nickname was Walt, uh, because I, you know, I like to uh, just play defense on people, and so that was the deal. You know, I was kind of the deal. I grew up with that, and I was a big fan of the Celtics for years and years and years, even through the, even through the Larry Bird era. If those of you who remember that, probably some of you actually can remember that era, uh, the Larry Bird era, and all the things were going. I was just a huge fan. But kind of after all those guys left, I kind of quit being a fan of them. You know, and then along came a guy named Michael Jordan. And uh, I became a fan of the, uh, of the Bulls for a while. Not so much a fan of the Bulls, but a fan of Michael Jordan and, and that team. And uh, even though he was from the uh, dreaded North Carolina Tar Heels, which I didn't like too much, uh, because I was a Duke fan in, high, in college basketball, and I know that's not a good thing here either. But uh, the reality is, is I was a fan. But the thing is, is that I cheered for those, fa- those teams for a long time because of individuals or because of, of commitment to that. But as far as continuing to say I've been a fan of one, one team or one uh, person forever, no, it's just not it's been that way. And probably you'll find yourself that way too. Some of you are long-time fans of certain, certain teams. And we cheer for a team as long as things are going as well, as long as they're winning championships. But when things don't go so well, when our commitment is tested, then we seem, seem to lose interest. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's really the test of commitment that determines if you are a fan or a follower of Jesus. Because it's easy enough to be a fan of Jesus as long as things are going well. Uh, but if, if, you have, uh, if you have employment and money isn't too tight, uh, your relationships are going okay, your family isn't falling apart, well, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I'm all rooting for you. But the problem is, is when things are not going as well, are you still a follower? Or are you just a fan? That's the question that the book talks about, not a fan. It's the question that the scripture talks about. Because we talked about last week that Jesus would continuously draw a line in the sand. And he would say, on this side of the line is the those of you who follow me. And this is the side of the line where you may just be a fan, a person who is an enthusiastic admirer of me. 
And, and he would say things and turn to the crowd and say things like, unless you hate your father and your mother in comparison to me, you cannot be my follower. That's a paraphrase of that passage. But that's what he said. He says, on one side of the line are your parents, the other side of the line is Jesus. Now, who are you going to choose? Who are you going to choose? He would say that to people. Uh, and, and, and we can find out pretty quick, are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? Because Jesus didn't try to mince words. It really comes down to that one word, commitment. How do we know if you're really a following Jesus? When your commitment is tested, what side of the line do you stand on? And Jesus never minced words. He says in Luke 14, 33, Jesus defines the type of commitment he's looking for. He says this, any one of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. If you don't give up everything, is there anything that's not clear about that verse? He's saying that everything belongs to him. Everything is his. Is is there something that's holding you back? When the line of commitment is drawn in the sand, which side do you fall on? It comes down to the word commitment. And last week we talked about this, what we call this DTR talk, this define the relationship talk between people that sometimes along the way, if you're in a relationship with someone and, and it's getting serious, you have to have this DTR talk. And at that point, the DTR talk is, you know, is where are we going with this relationship? Is it going to be casual or is it going to be something more serious that's going to be committed, to, where we're going to be committed to one another? And then also the, the main passage of scripture that we're being looking at in this series is out of Luke 9, 23. And if you have your Bibles, you might just take, the, take your Bible and open to Luke 9, 23 and kind of leave it there because we're going to be talking about some other verses, but I want to keep coming back to that today because that's the key verse that's there. It's also recorded in other ways in Matthew and also in Mark, but it says this, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. And deny, we talked about last week, I mean, what? it means that you don't even look in the direction of yourself. It means you don't even consider yourself. It's, it's complete self-surrender. That's what we talked about last week. It says, if anyone come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, today, what I want to talk about is the second part of that phrase, take up your cross daily. When Jesus paints this picture, you know, in, in marketing in our world, people constantly have images. They want people to kind of grasp. They use, uh, people have campaigns to have images uh, so that people will buy their products. I can say certain uh, names of certain products, and you would think of an image because they've been good at branding things. Jesus, he wasn't very good at branding. Because the image that he puts, he said, must take up a cross. The cross is not necessarily, it's not the thing you hang around your neck as, an, as, a, as jewelry. It might be. But what he was talking here in, in, in regard to this, he's saying, he's saying the cross is something that's, there's nothing positive associated with this, with the cross. There's nothing. And, what, and he says, what does it mean to take up the cross? Well, first, the first thing it means to take up the cross is this. Taking up your cross, as Jesus des- describes it in Scripture, it, it means it requires obedience. requires obedience. Because when it says there, it says, take up your cross. The word take in this passage is an important word because it implies that it's not being forced upon you. Jesus doesn't say, here, you've got to have the cross. He said, I want you to take up the cross. I want you to pick it up. It's got to be a choice that you make. If you're going to be a fan or a follower, you've got to make a choice. And the choice to be a follower is, is to take up the cross of Jesus. It implies that you're will, willingly pulling it on. You know, and how many people do that? You remember last week we talked about the one passage that talked about how, how many people would follow Jesus and take up the cross? What did it say? It says lots of people would do that. 
And so it's, no, it said few. It said few will take it up because it's not, it's not, he was straightforward. He was, he was not trying to sugarcoat it. And so often the problem is sometimes we try to say, oh, you know, following Jesus is easy. I will tell you it's not. It's worth it, but it's not easy. That's, the, that's what the Bible says. So the first thing he says, it requires obedience. To take up the cross requires obedience to follow God. And another thing we know about taking up the cross is it entails suffering and sacrifice. It says it in Scripture. It seems clear enough with this just one verse that you can take up your cross and follow him. But you know what also it says in Luke 6, 22? It says, blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of me. Now, what is that saying? It's saying that living the Christian life while you just make this decision to take up your cross and follow Jesus in obedience, it's not going to be easy. People will sometimes misunderstand you. Sometimes they will just outright reject you. We live in a country where it is so easy, in a sense, to call ourselves Christian because there's very little, very little sacrifice and there's very little suffering that goes along with being a Christian in our country. In verse 26 in the same passage in Luke 6, it says this, Jesus said this, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that's how their fathers treated the false prophets. So when the people are always talking good about you, you know, you better watch out because it may mean that maybe you're not really doing what Jesus says to do. It doesn't mean you go out and look for, for stuff to get criticized about. But it says you have to ask yourself this question. So the, very personally, one of the questions that I've asked myself, I've struggled with lately is this. When was the last time that following Jesus really cost me anything? You ever thought about that as a question to start your day with? When was the last time that following Jesus really cost you anything? That's a good question because when's the last time it cost you a relationship? When's the last time it cost you a promotion? When's the last time it, it following Jesus caused you to be insulted? Uh, when, when was the last time you were sitting in science class and you, because you stood up for Jesus and, and for his way, it called everybody to roll their eyes and look at you like you're, a, like you're from a Mars or something? When is the last time someone in the neighborhood chose not to speak well of you because of your commitment to Jesus Christ? When you were not invited to a party or, or whatever because they know you're a Christian? When was the last time you were mocked in some way for your faith? See, Jesus is saying in Scripture, and this is what's really hard for us sometimes to grasp, sometimes if, if you're not sacrificed, if I'm not sacrificing, if there is no suffering taking place, then we've got to ask ourselves, are we really carrying a cross? Because, the reason is not because we look out for try to, try to find sacrifice and suffering, but it's simply because living the Christian life, living a life of obedience to Christ is countercultural. It goes against almost every quality that culture defines as important. It reminded me a few years ago when we first, uh, first started here uh, at Great Oaks. Um, what we used to do when we were first here, we were in a school, we were in elementary school. First year I was here was in elementary school. And uh, we met there, about 120 of us. I'll look back at the records to see how many folks was there. About 120. And uh, when we had baptisms... Uh, when somebody came to Christ, we didn't have, of course, we didn't have a baptistry. And so what we did, did, did is we would find whatever pools around that was uh, available. So we didn't baptize in cold weather, by the way. You know, we never baptized in the winter back then because we only had outdoor pools. And so uh, back then we used to baptize some people over at Don and Judy Phillips Pool. And I remember particularly one um, 
one, one time we were baptizing some people, and it was always a huge celebration because what we'd do is we'd have church sometimes, and then after church we'd, we'd have this big rush of people, I mean all 120 of us, would run over to the Phillips and park all over their yard, you know, and we'd be out there and, and we'd have a baptism, and some of you were baptized there, and, uh, and we'd do this, and it was really cool because everybody would invite their friends. And sometimes even people that didn't come to our church, they would invite friends to the baptism. We'd have more people for the baptism than we had for the service. It's kind of weird, but, you know, that's just the way it was, a pool party, you know. And so we come out there. But I remember one time in particular, and usually most people would have just a crowd of people that would show up, you know, they'd invite all their friends and family and stuff to show up. But I remember one time, and I don't know if some of you may or may not remember this, but one time in particular, and maybe you didn't even know this because there was a crowd there, there was this young man that came to church there. And he came by himself to, to Great Oaks almost every week for many, many weeks. And he came to know Christ, and, and he was baptized. He wanted to be baptized. And so I talked to him about it, and we shared, and, and he, he had made that commitment. He was in his early 20s. And he came to me, and he said, Pastor Bill, he says, you know, I really want to invite my family, but they really don't want to have anything to do with this. Matter of fact, they told me that if I follow, you know, if I did this, they would, they, they just didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. And so he said, I'm going to, but I believe this is the right thing to do out of obedience. And you know what he did? He came in, was baptized, and nobody except for the people at church were there for him. Not one other person was there. And after, you know, while I was thinking about that that day as I was baptizing him and afterwards, I was, first I was kind of a, I was kind of sad I was sorry for him, and I sensed something. But then I began to sense something else. You know, something was weird, and I thought back about this, and I'm going like, why did I feel this other feeling? Because I began to feel almost jealous. I was jealous because I'm thinking, I want that level of commitment in my life. That if everybody else around me rejects me, I'm still going to be committed to Christ. That young man moved on. It's another location. He doesn't live around here anymore. I kept up with him for a while. But it just, I'm amazed by that kind of level. of. That's what Jesus says. He says sometimes following him is going to require sacrifice and suffering. Blessed are you when men insult you, reject you, when you're excluded because of me, Jesus says. See, scriptures attach you know, so often scriptures that attach suffering and sacrifice to following Jesus, we don't highlight those verses, do we? Those are not the ones we want to put on the refrigerator. It's easier to highlight the verses that are more comfortable and make us happy. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Jesus says this, it says, or Paul says this, everyone, everyone who wants to live a, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you read that verse? Do you have that highlight in your Bible? <laughs> oh, yeah, I like, like that verse. That's a great verse. Looking forward to that one. Or how about Philippians 1.29? For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Did you know those verses are in Scripture? We don't talk about those a lot, do we? But the reality is, is that following Christ, a life of obedience, dying to self in, in a real sense, living for him daily, is part of that process. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, am I really carried across if I'm not sacrificing? Does it cost me anything? Thomas Akempis put it this way when he says this, Jesus has many who love his kingdom in heaven, but few who bear his cross. He has many who desire comfort, but few who desire suffering. He finds many to share his feast, but few his fasting. All desire to rejoice with him, but few are willing to suffer for his sake. 
Many admire his miracles, but few follow him in the humiliation of the cross. I found it kind of interesting recently, a couple of, well, I think it was three years ago, three or four years ago, MSNBC did a uh, study and I, that I found humorous. I'll pull these up and save these all the time. And uh, in this study, it was a study uh, on a new generation of people who call themselves vegetarians, okay? I thought it was really interesting, though, because, uh, I don't know if you must have read the same one, Brett. Uh, it's, it, was, uh, it was hilarious because they interviewed this girl named Christy Pugh, and she was age 28, and her statement kind of captures the new vegetarian approach. Here's what she says. Christy says, I usually eat vegetarian, but I really like bacon. I'm a vegetarian, but I like to eat bacon. Well, you know, as you can imagine, the real vegetarians, the people who don't eat meat, um, they didn't care a lot for these new vegetarians. And all these new vegetarians are kind of like, you know, like they like to eat mostly vegetables, but not all the time. It's kind of like, you know, halfway. And so the new vegetarians came up with a new name for themselves because they had so much flack from the real vegetarians. So the new name for themselves is flexitarians. Flexitarians. I thought that was a great name. Flexitarians. Uh, they don't eat meat unless they really like it. That's that's kind of the deal. You know, it's kind of like uh, you know I'm a, you know all of us are flexitarians uh, in a sense because we don't eat meat. I, I don't eat meat unless it's served. You know, I mean that's kind of the deal, right? <laughs> so I'm a flexitarian. You're a flexitarian. You know, whatever whatever you're doing, and, and that's the mentality. I'm a vegetarian unless there's something I re- else I really want to eat. And and one of the things Christy said in the interview, she said this: I really like vegetarian food, but I am not a hundred percent committed. I think by definition, I think by definition, um, there are a lot of a lot of us who are flexi Christians. We're flexi Christians, people who say, "Well, I'm a follower of Jesus, but when it gets uncomfortable, when it gets inconvenient, uh, maybe not." You know, I, I really like Jesus, but I really don't I really don't like to serve poor people. I really like Jesus, but I really don't like. Uh, giving to the church, giving a tithe of my money I, that I've worked so hard for. I really like Jesus, but I'm going to, ch- but going to church more than a couple times a month. Ah, it's awful a lot to ask. I, I really like Jesus, but this area of my life, or or when I'm with these friends, or when I'm at this place, well, I'm not really 100 percent committed. I really like Jesus, but because see, it involves obedience and sacrifice, and sometimes even suffering. Take up our cross daily. We see it demands, we also see it demands death daily. Now, when someone is carrying a cross, you know how their story will end because they're, 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 that's what they do on a regular basis. You see, the most challenging part of this passage uh, in Luke 9, that you have your Bibles open to, for me, is the word daily. Is the word daily. It's not a real problem every once in a while to take up a cross. But it says we take up our cross, how often? Every day, daily, consistently in our life. It's not a pick and choose type thing. And in some ways, though, isn't that what it means to be committed? Isn't it about daily? I mean, what if I said to my wife, I'm committed to you, but on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, maybe not. You think about that, really? I mean, you know, is that commitment? No. I mean, how long would your marriage last with that? 
type of level of commitment. You know, just name certain days of the week that you wouldn't do it. And that is the challenging part of following Jesus. You say, you know, I will die daily. I will live for him daily. So he draws a line in the sand. He says, I want you to test your commitment daily. If you're a follower of me, you die to self daily. In doing research for the book Unchristian, George Barna surveyed a whole bunch of people, non-Christians and Christians. And in surveying non-Christians, especially the age 16 to 29, um, he said that in surveying these non-Christians 16 to uh, 29, 85% of them said they knew at least one person who there was a friend of theirs, they called themselves committed Christians. Really? That was cool. 85%? Well, read on. But, only 50, but they said, but only 15% of them thought that the lifestyle of the committed Christian was significantly different from the norm. Barner researched the level of commitment in Christianity in America, and here's what he discovered. That of those who are between the ages of 18 and 41, 65% of them say this, I've made a personal commitment to Jesus that is still important. And of those who are age 42 and over, 73% have said they've made a commitment to Jesus that is still important to them. Now, while on the surface that seems encouraging, let's go deeper. Because when they were questioned about the level of commitment, only 29% of the 18 to 41-year-olds and 48% of the 42 and over said that they were absolutely committed to the Christian faith. That still doesn't sound too bad, does it? 18% uh, of, uh, you know, of that group. And, you know, so on one hand, you see that there is a whole bunch of people that say that they're absolutely committed to Jesus Christ. But then he said he wanted to take it to another level in reality. So what he asked is, he said, he wanted to ask this question. How many among all these people would have what we call a biblical worldview? In a biblical worldview, there's certain questions you need to ask. And this has been something that's been around for a long time. This is not something they made up. But a biblical worldview saying these are the basic, basic eight basic things that the Bible teaches. And so they ask all these people that say they had this level, this high level of commitment. They said this, they asked them, how many of you have a biblical worldview and would you agree to these, these next eight statements? And these are the eight statements. Number one, Jesus lived a sinless life. That's what the Bible says. God is the all-knowing and all-powerful creator of the universe and still rules today. Salvation is a gift from God and it cannot be earned. Let's go to the next one. Satan is real. Christians have a responsibility to share their faith. The Bible is accurate in all of the principles it teaches. Then the last two. Unchanging moral truth exists, and such absolute truth is defined by the Bible. That's what, if you believe in those things, that's what it means to have a biblical worldview. Now, we're not asking about, you know, details. These are just very basic, broad truths of Scripture. Okay? But when asked uh, the people about, about this, people that are, say they're Christians, committed Christians... A worldview, and if you look at this as a worldview determinant of having belief in these eight things, the number of, of those 42 and over who held a biblical worldview, guess, 9%. And of those 18 to 41 who believe these eight things, 3%. See, we, we have a lot of people who say, yeah, I'm obedient to you, God, I'll follow your word and everything, but th their lives don't live it out. They're fans, not followers. 
It would remind me, and this is a scenario that's not happened, but I could see it happening very easily. It would be like a couple comes to me to have premarital counseling. And one of the things they always want to talk about really quickly, and I want to talk about way down the road, is the, is the wedding ceremony. You know, I mean, first, let's talk about the wedding ceremony. It's so important. Don't let make me snarl, okay? The wedding ceremony is the least important thing that you need to deal with before you get married. But everybody gets all just crazy about it, you know? And so they always want to talk about the wedding ceremony. And so, you know, so we talk about the vows. And say, imagine we're talking about the vows, and the soon-to-be wife says to me, Hey, uh, just, just a minute, can I make some small adjustments to the vows? If we could just uh, scratch out the, sec- the place that says for richer or for poor, can we scratch that out? And looks at her, looks at her, ex- her, her husband-to-be, and he says, Oh, sure, that's fine. Because we never know what's going to happen. So rich or poor, yeah, we scratched that one out. And he says, you know, how about the one, the guy says, well, how about the one that says forsaking all others? Can we scratch that one out too in the vows? Yeah, and he goes, yeah, well, sure. How about in sickness and in health? And so they start scratching out with things they don't like. You know what they would be like? How many of you have ever been to Monticello, not Cello, Virginia? Okay, you know where that's at? Shadwell, uh, Charlottesville. You know what's there? It's the home of Thomas Jefferson. It's pronounced Monticello. I always get a, a, a laugh when I come here because everybody in the Midwest calls it Monticello. I don't know why you do that, okay? The original one is called Monticello. Drives me crazy. That's one of my pet peeves, okay? But the issue is, okay, anyway, get over that. Okay, get over it, Bill. Okay, it's passed. Um, if you go to Monticello... And you look going to Thomas Jefferson's home, which is a really cool place to visit. It was only about an hour from where I used to live. And you go in there, and in his bedroom, on a stand, there is a, I don't know if it's the real thing or just a reproduction of, his Bible. You know what, what Thomas Jefferson did to his Bible? He took a penknife, and he cut out the scriptures that he didn't like. So he has this Bible with holes all in it, everywhere. You know, I like this verse, I don't like this verse. I like this verse, I don't like this verse. You just pick and choose what you don't like. He called himself a deist. Most people called him an atheist. But the reality is, see, so often that's what we do. We just want to pick and choose uh, what our commitment is to God. Is God, I'll follow you in this, but I won't follow you in this. You know, in that same research that Barna did, they found that for Christians living a morally distinctive lifestyle, there was not, not just there was no difference between Christians and non, non-Christians. In fact, they called it, they said that there was statistically, it's hard to say, statistically equivalent between Christians and non-Christians in lifestyle in his research. Christians and non-Christians in their lifestyle and moral choices were statistically equivalent. When asked to identify their activities over the past 30 days, Christians were statistically just as likely as non-Christians to gamble, to have visited a pornographic website, to take something that didn't belong to them, to be involved in physical abuse, to have been legally drunk, uh, just, name, just go down the list. That means if you were to go into a room and you had 100 Christians and 100 non-Christians in a room and you were asked by their lifestyle to choose who were Christians and non-Christians, it would be impossible based on our current culture in America. You know, the problem with that is the, the reason it's so uh, strange is surprising to many of us is that four, uh, four out of five 
Christians would agree with his statement, with the statement. If they had multiple choice about what it means to be a Christian, they would agree. Four out of five would say this is the best way to describe a Christian. The Christian life is well described as trying hard to do what God commands. They would say that. Four out of five. Trying hard to do what God commands. But does the lifestyle live that out? No. No. See, the problem is that we define Christianity by keeping a moral code. And that's not even what Christianity is all about anyway, right? I mean, we, we follow Christ. We, we, we do the things be, not because we want to try harder. It's kind of like the email that I got this past week. And I really appreciate the email. I really do appreciate the email. And it captured many of the things that I think that, that sometimes we get a little bit twisted because the email said this. This is a person... Um, that, was, that I told about the book. He said, thanks so much for this challenge to go from fan to follower. I am trying every day to become a follower of Jesus. And I appreciate that email. I really did because it shows that person is trying to take a next step. And I understand the spirit in which the email was sent, and I think it's great, but I can tell you that person, by what they said, are going, is going to fail. They're going to fail. They're still operating from the fine, fan mindset that says, I'm trying every day i'm just going to try trying every day isn't going to get it done trying every day is going to cause you to feel like a failure because look guess what folks is try as much as you want to try you will not succeed on your own if i could take that email and change one word in it that would make the biggest difference and what jesus is saying in scripture it's this instead of saying and i'm going to try every day to go from, you know, I, I, well, I would change. Thank you so much for this challenge to go from fan to follower. I am dying every day to Jesus. And so I, I know that I can be a follower of him. See, we can't do it just by trying harder. We think it's all about us. To deny self says, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. I need God. I have to die to myself so that God can do it through me. Do you understand the difference? There's a huge difference there. Because when you and I just simply try to live a better life, we will be successful maybe for a while, but eventually what's going to happen is we'll fail. How many of you have been 100% successful on staying on a diet? How many of you have been 100% successful in doing everything in your life uh, to, to be fit? How many of you are 106% successful in regards to your financial goals? How many of you are 106% successful in being the perfect parent? Don't even look at me about that one. Okay. <laughs> about the per- you, know, you No matter how hard you try, you will fail. We will all stumble at some place, right? We'll all do that. So the reality is, the reality is, God's not asking us. God's not asking us to simply try. It says this in, in, in Romans 6.14. Paul says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law. You're not under this thing about just trying harder. You're under grace. And see, I think one of the things that determining differences between fans and followers is this. A fan calls himself a Christian, and they're trying hard to do stuff, what God commands, but they're doing it out of guilt, and they're doing it out of fear. They went to church as a little child and they got the message that being a Christian means that, you, that you're good little boys and girls. 
So they decided this is what it means, and I'm going to try really hard to be a good little boy and girl. Now that I'm growing up, I'm going to be a good little man or a good man or a good woman, and that's what God wants me to be. But a follower is following Jesus because they have come to the realization that they can't do it on their own, and they have to die to themselves daily and give themselves over to God and say, God, I can't do it on my own. And then by doing that, I can live the life that you want me to live and be successful, not because of me, but because of you. Die to life, die to self daily. See, the commitment that we're asked to make as, that we're asked to make as Christians from God's word is not to try daily, it's to die daily. You know, I've had so many conversations with people that, that have tried, 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 and they're so frustrated. And they come to me and they say, Pastor, you know something? I'm just so tired of doing this halfway. I just have to go all in. How do I do it? And I'll point them to this, this passage of Luke. Die daily. Die daily. I was looking at the uh, Not A Fan website uh, a good while back when I was thinking about this series. And back then, um, there was still some information on, on the church that originally did this, uh, Kyle Eidelman, who wrote the book, Southeast Christians website. And it was actually, I can't find it there now, but I'm glad I copied and pasted a lot of it. But um, on their website, there were a number, number of people who shared stories of struggles between being a fan of Jesus and the need to be a follower of Christ. And I thought they were great because it really talks about the struggle we have in life, the tr- struggle between trying and dying. One guy named Daryl writes, In the sanctity of our home, it's easy to let our guard down and place our, cro- place our cross to the side when leaving it on the porch or leaving it on the porch at the front door. In the mornings when everyone is rushing around trying to get ready for day's activities, sometimes we forget to be followers and become far from fans with yelling and screaming and rushing to get it somewhere on time. Then we run out the door, pick up the cross, and put our Christian face on for the world to see. I'm going like, uh, sound like Sunday mornings? The girl named Jennifer said, it's been difficult being a follower of Jesus while my husband has been looking for a job. It's so easy for me to get caught up in the what ifs. How will we pay the bills? How will we pay for groceries? And on and on. I say that I trust that God will provide, but do I really mean that? The moment I commit to truly trusting in God in this, I know he will provide and lead us in his will. It's not easy to say that. Lisa writes, unexpected diagnosis uncertain future this has been the hardest place i have had to learn to be a follower of jesus and not just a fan i simply could not walk the path of caring for a medically fragile child and daily surrender my precious son to the will of god without being a completely committed follower of christ thank you god for teaching me that through the pain, painful realities that there are also many many wonderful blessings steve writes society allows and encourages me to glance and stare at women I did not consider the sadness I was causing Christ. I did not consider what pain I was causing my beautiful wife. I did not consider how my four-year-old watched his daddy's eyes to see where he was looking. Job in the Bible made a covenant with his eyes over 4,000 years ago not to look lustfully at a woman, and I have made the same covenant. I no longer hope to hurt my wife. I am no longer a poor example to my daughters. I no longer give Satan a foothold to sin, and I am no longer just a fan of Jesus. That was Steve. Steve's wife writes... It's hard for me to be a follower in my home. I practice forgiveness very well in the real world. But back at home, looking at my husband and sometimes only seeing his affairs in the past instead of his repentant heart, I struggle. Nothing can be done without Christ. I have to give it all to him. 
I think that's the deal. You have to give it all to him. See, when we try, we will not be successful. But it's only when we die to self, deny self and die to self, and say, Christ, I need you daily. I have to walk with you daily that we can live as a follower and experience, even in the struggles, even in the pain, even in, in all the suffering that we sometimes go through. And people, I know people in this church, I mean, that are going through stuff. But through all that, we can experience what it means to live a life in the safe arms of God in the midst of the chaos in this world. I give it all to him. That's what it means. Complete commitment. doesn't mean you don't struggle because you're going to struggle. It doesn't mean you're not going to stumble because you're going to stumble. I'm going to stumble. It means that you give it all to him and you commit your life to Jesus. And every day, one day at a time, you say, I'm going to die today. I think there are a lot of Christians in America, and maybe even a lot of Christians in this room, who have believed in Jesus, but they've never made a decision. They've made a decision for Jesus, but they've never made a commitment to Jesus. And there's a big difference. The commitment is to say, okay, today, for this day, I'm going to die to myself, deny myself, and live in obedience to Christ. And the only way that's going to happen is for him to come in and his spirit to work through me. And then I'm going to do the next same thing the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Because that is what it means to be a follower and not a fan. I love what it says in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles 16, 9. And it says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You know, God, God is calling and is looking for people who are fully committed to him. He's looking for followers, not fans. And too often we've been satisfied to be a fan and then we've wondered, why is my Christian walk so shallow and so hollow? It's always going to be that way as long as you're a fan. Only when you give it all to God and walk with Him every day will you experience what it means to live the life of a follower of Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.